Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sprites of Life podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Chris. And I'm Don. We're so glad to have you back for another episode. And guys, who else is still stuck playing uh, Tears of the Kingdom? It's a never-ending cycle. Well, now Series D just dropped, so I've been doing that on Showdown now. Okay, we'll, we'll get to Series D in a second, but like... Come on, you gotta admit, like it's been by the time this episode comes out, it'll have been over a month, and I'm probably not gonna have finished the game by then. There's there's no way. This game it sucks you in. And then and then it doesn't let you leave. Yeah, you're not allowed to leave. Like ever. You're you're stuck. I will say this will probably be our last Zelda focused episode for a while, just to give ourselves a break. But we were able to snag a guest. Um, there's a friend of ours by the name of Ed who was able to sit down with me and Chris to talk a bit about some of the volcanoes that are, well, not so, the volcano yeah. in the Legend of Zelda universe. But we wanted to still do our normal opening and our stuff. Ed lives in the UK, so time is weird, so we weren't all able to sit out on it. So y'all y'all ready for some news? Yeah, hit us. Cool. Um. It's no surprise to you, Chris, that I, I, I prefer dogs to cats. No, not surprising. No, it's not. But yeah, but I, I we can all agree that cats in the wild cause more damage than dogs in the wild, correct? I don't know the science. I know that cats are very efficient predators. I don't know what dogs do in the wild. But I'll be blunt and say that cats are way better predators in the wild than dogs are. They're really, really good Cats at it. Cats are very efficient. They're very good at it. And we've run into so many issues with them that there's been a prize that's been set up to get about $25 million in what's called the uh, Mikkels- Mickelson's Prize. Basically, the idea is to find a way that can sterilize dogs and cats worldwide in a more effective and cheap way other than surgery. And it seems that one group of experts has found it. There was a study published in the Nature of Com- Nature Communications that they were able to create a gene therapy that prevents contraception in female cats for almost two years or possibly even longer. And that's that's incredible. What's the, uh, if they're trying to avoid the surgery, what's the application? So with gene therapy, the idea is, you probably see it in more sci-fi movies now, but the real the science is that you implant genetic information into a virus and you inject the virus into the organism. The virus's whole mission in life or on life, whatever you want to categorize a virus as, is to go into a cell, rewire it, and make more of itself. So by using a virus to transport this new information into the cell, you rewrite it in order to do your bidding. Now, this has... So many applications, both ethical and non-ethical. But what this one particularly does is it stops cats from ovulating. So they put uh, a bunch of these female cats into a room with a bunch of male cats to see what would happen. And these, uh, when they place her in the room, I'm reading here off the article, with the male for several hours a day for over a four-month period, they're about none of these cats got pregnant. Four of the females just refused to mate outright. And while two of them did mate, they still didn't conceive. So that's really cool to see that these organisms, like these viruses, have found ways to actually help with this issue. Now, there's still so much testing to do with this. There's so much that needs to go on with it. Um, it'll take apparently up to five years before the commercial product is available. But the biggest issue is going to be price. 
Um, in the United States alone, we lose about 1 million animals, over a million animals a year to having to be put down. Like this means that we could stop a lot of that. We can stop that needless death. And luckily we don't, we have plenty, we have a surplus of pets out there. So it's not like putting this in is going to cause the extinction of cats and dogs. That ain't going to happen. So do we have any gaming news, Lucas? Uh, Don, you mentioned it very quickly. Um, we have the Pokemon community got a bit of a shakeup the few, this past few weeks. Yeah, so now they've, um, they've announced the rule set for the World Championships. Or I think, yeah, I think Timelight will be, um, and that's going to be Series D. Um, and it does, doesn't start until after uh, the U.S. Nationals. So it's going to basically be like, the, I think probably the first big event of the new tournament will be Worlds. There might be like um, maybe a special event in between the two, but the North American International is normally the last event. Um, so it'll be interesting. A lot of people are already excited. I think it's, I like the format so far. Um, it's all the stuff we currently have, plus the Hisuimons in regional forms, some starters like Inteleon line, Delphox like line in their games, as well as Carbink for some reason. Yeah. that's just... And the genies are back. Why are you hating on Carbink? I'm not. The genies. <laughs> I was like, and the genies are back. <laughs> and the genies. <laughs> I have been doing some experimenting, and I, I do like this format quite a bit. I will, I do enjoy it a lot. Yeah, Ursaluna is very good. Ursaluna is very good, but I, I argue that Urshifu is more terrifying. Urshifu is also very good. Oh, I'm sorry. You, you, you protect? You, you want to protect? Okay, fine. I'll just hit it. Urshifu in a non-Dynamax format is honestly insane. But even in yeah. Dynamax format, he, like he had the only unblockable move. Yeah, outside not... of Dynamax, though. No, but like, couldn't G Max One Blow break through, uh, prote Max Protect? No. Oh, G Max, I'm... yeah, but yeah, honestly, G... I think G Max and Urshifu is like not the best play. I, I mean, it's it's downright terrifying. It's why I love it. I mean, Return of Reggie Lecky, the Lightning Lad himself. Oh yeah, Lecky's back as well. It seems like Transistor may have been nerfed. It did get. It's, I've seen that it got nerfed. That it's like just a little bit less than it's, whatever. Uh, one th yeah, it's one third instead. All right, of I think I've had enough of bashing video games and stuff. Unless y'all have any other gaming news, I forgot. I think let's get to, let's just uh, jump in with the interview. All right, y'all, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guys, gals, non-binary pals. Thank you so much for listening today. We have a good friend of mine here to talk about some volcanoes in video games. Everyone, give a warm welcome to Ed. How you doing, Ed? Hey, Lucas. I'm doing great. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me and Chris. We're sorry Don couldn't be here. He he had to do work stuff. So It, it turns out coordinating interviews uh, across countries still is complicated in the digital world we are in today. Yeah, you can, <laughs> you can digitize everything, but you can't digitize a time zone. So um, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, what you do? Um, yes. So my name is Ed. Um, I am a PhD student at the University of Leicester in England, um, where my PhD, like my background is in geology and my PhD research project is looking at ancient volcanism in the Lake District in Northern England that occurred 450 million years ago. And I'm trying to look at the caldera volcanoes that I found there I'm trying to a find them because there's a lot of volcanic deposits, but we don't know where the volcanoes are, which is slightly 
problematic. That also sounds very scary. We don't we know they're there, but we don't know where the volcanoes are. I'm just gonna keep poking this hole until the fiery goo comes out. Stab. Stab. <laughs> There's like three kilometers thick of pyroclastic volcanic deposits which came from these volcanoes and we only know where three of them are, but the metrics don't add up. And then I'm hoping once I find them we can look at these caldera volcanoes in detail and even though they're long dead way extinct hopefully we can take the features that we see in these ancient calderas and apply them to more modern ones and understand sort of how they're functioning how they're living and how they might erupt and going from there so the data you collect could help to better understand something like the Yellowstone caldera. Like Indeed, our- yeah. Awesome. So the reason we got to know each other years ago is that you wrote an amazing paper on like volcanoes and video games. Do you want to talk about how did like this connect at first? How did you even get into this idea? So I think like the main starting point is my two big passions in life are volcanoes and video games. And like I started off with video games when my parents bought me a Game Boy Color and Pokemon Gold and Silver. And there's basically never been a day since then where I haven't played a video game of some form, even if it's like mobile game. Um, and then with geology and volcanoes, like I think we always go through a period in our childhood where we pick up rocks and uh, I just never grew out of that instead the rocks just got bigger and bigger but when I decided to merge the two together was when I finished my master's degree and I was waiting to get a PhD project I kept on getting rejected um, so I'd have to wait a whole year for new applications to come out And I wanted to keep on building up my CV. I knew if I gained enough experience, then they couldn't say no to me anymore. And unfortunately, I had to get a job outside of geology because bills are a thing. And because that happened, I then had to deal with um, annual leave, which meant I couldn't go out and get um, any geology experience like going on field work with my friends who they kept on offering but I want a week off at Christmas not a week off to go and uh, study a volcano elsewhere I kind of I'd like to do both but family requests I take Christmas off so uh, I was trying to figure out how could I still study a volcano without going anywhere and that's when I realized that you could just do it for a video game. So like, and the fir- what was the first game you actually used to study volcanoes? Uh, topical for this talk uh, was Breath of Wild, actually. Really? So it really was like just the new, uh, it wasn't like you went back to like Ocarina of Time. You went full on, no, let's get the new one out and see what we can do with it. I, uh, I was replaying the master mode just because it was the first time through and I wanted to see like how much of a step up it was, which was just being one-shotted constantly for ages. Um, but while doing that, I just got really distracted by clambering over the volcanic region. And I was thinking, it's like, 
that's not realistic or it's like oh that's a really cool feature i've never seen that realism shown in a video game before and the two juxtapositions sort of kept on making me think until eventually i wrote an entire blog on the volcanology of breath of the wild so hypothetically let's say someone has graduated high school or graduated secondary school however it works how does one go from that to becoming a volcanologist i'd say the next step afterwards is to do an earth science degree of some form at university uh, for some reason we have multiple different names for our science it's either geology geoscience earth science natural sciences also include it a bit but if you go to university you can get your degree in it and you can study volcanoes while doing that and then at the same time alongside your degree a lot of um, internships are hosted across the globe um, so i did one with the uh, universidad de colima in mexico where i spent two months studying their local volcano um, i know also hawaii observatory have one and for those in europe geo tenerife is another internship that works and so doing them together you start to build up experience and then eventually in like your master's degree you can have your own scientific research project and you just focus that on a volcano or something within volcanology and then you build up to a master's and then postdoc research and keep on going from there until someone finally gives you a permanent job <laughs> hopefully hopefully with that oh, look if it's any consolation earth science is not the only like science that like my degree is technically an integrated animal biology they didn't have the, the they just decided no animal biology or zoology isn't good enough we have to make it intricate we have to make sure that your degree sounds better it's like yeah but it's a mouthful and yeah. i don't want to say it over and over again we keep saying as like geologists in general we keep saying how confusing it is for new people but none of us can agree on a consensus name to just call it so we're stuck with all of the different variations because everyone likes their own version for whatever reason. That's that's also not uncommon in sciences in general. It's like, why have one word for something when we can have seven? <laughs> I just imagine like the biologists and the earth scientists are all like sitting in a room and then we just have the paleontologist sitting in the middle and we're all just trying to coax them over like a dog. Like, here, boy, come on. Come on, it, it, it was an animal at one time, and the earth science was like, no, no, it's a rock now. Come on, come on. Well, there is actually um, paleobiology as well, and they argue they do completely different things to paleontologists. I don't oh. fully <laughs> understand it myself. I just, I accept that they believe there's a difference and just leave them to argue it themselves. <laughs> that just sounds really funny. It's just like someone watches like Jurassic Park with them, and it's like, no. No, it's different what I do. And they spend the whole rest of the movie being insufferable. I'm wondering, with all of your looking into uh, video games and volcanoes, what do you think is the best volcano in video games? And I specifically say best, meaning not the most accurate. Um, oof. So I'd say I've got two favorites. Um, one of them would be cinnabar island from pokemon uh, wh wh what about that in particular 
The reasons for that is one personal bias, because that was the first game that I ever played, and so is technically the first volcano I ever explored. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also love how between Gen 1 and Gen 2, the volcano erupts and completely destroys the island. And from like my research point of view, this is one of the few rare cases where we see a volcano erupt and how it affects people and how it changes because a lot of time in video games when the volcano erupts the landscape doesn't change which is not what happens when volcanoes erupt if they erupt they will completely change the landscape yeah Um, something something's gonna give yeah (laughs) even a house will not last in front of a lava flow so i love the fact that they do show this change in it Um, And then the second one would be Death Mountain, because there's just so much to it, especially from like Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, you get to explore so much of it. And I just love the Zelda franchise as well, the whole series. I also just love the fact that they just, you know what, we could come up with a name for it. Death Mountain. There we go. Welcoming, inviting, perfectly. Like, if you're trying to get an adventurer to climb a mountain, they're not going to climb up happy, bubbling peak. It's going to be, nah, that's Death Mountain. Oh, don't go there. It's dangerous. Hey, where'd he go? Just already scampering up the boulder, clothes setting on fire in Breath of the Wild. Like, I'm going to get to that village. Well, that that kind of relates to the next question, Lucas, which is, you know, we have these names for volcanoes in the games, like Death Mountain, very scary, very scary, very imposing. But volcanoes have a purpose in the world in ecosystem and so ed what you know what what is their purpose what do volcanoes do for the world um they do a lot for the world um really so one of the obvious ones is the fact that they form land um particularly for island volcanoes like iceland or hawaii they are producing land that we can live on. And then in other cases, like with major eruptions, they can produce a lot of um, greenhouse gases, which may sound like a bad thing, but it has been noted in a lot of eruptions like Pinatubo in the Philippines that erupted in 1991. The gases emitted by that eruption actually cooled the earth by I believe it was like a degree and a half so it actually negated climate change and global warming now just for the record um a mostly American audience Celsius or Fahrenheit <laughs> oh Celsius yeah sorry I had to yeah, yeah. yeah. true yeah yeah so Celsius is more than yeah, Fahrenheit kids <laughs> yes yeah, what 32 Fahrenheit 32 degrees Fahrenheit is our freezing versus zero degrees celsius is your freezing and i say yours as if it's like like i am very much of the mindset of like americans would use anything but the metric system i recently had to specify how much water was in a place by comparing it to cans of (laughs) coca-cola anything but the metric system (laughs) i mean lucas you know for like that's that's like pokemon measures things in dump trucks you use what you got (laughs) i still want to i still want to actually get a shirt someday if we make a certain number we're just like hi we just want to just have pokemon measured against dump trucks because that's basically it's so weird that that's the metric they chose 
I mean, when they do actually use numerical values like Fahrenheit, they get it way off. So, yeah, slug mud's a threat. <laughs> don't hug a macargo. <laughs> don't hug the macargo. Don't hug the slug mud. Just, just so uh, I did want to ask you. Like everyone, like you said, we go through that phase where it's like we want to know more about Earth science. We see a volcano when we're five. It's like that's fire shooting out of a mountain. What, where, and why? What is the coolest thing everyone should know about a volcano? I'd say my, for me, my passion is surrounding on pyroclastic flows and explosive eruptions. So pyroclastic flows are these giant um clouds of molten rock and searing hot gases which can burn at a thousand degrees celsius and can travel over a hundred miles an hour at some point and these are one of the most deadliest volcanic hazards which for some reason just humans get drawn to deadlier things like with volcanoes and this is the peak pinnacle deadliest thing um so with these like they can produce deposits which are hundreds of meters thick so the ones that i'm studying in the lake district for my phd some of them uh, can get up to 300 400 meters thick so they are big eruptions that can occur and just completely transform landscapes i mean it's uh I want you to guess how many people live near Pompeii today, even knowing full well. How many people do you think live near there? Uh, I believe with Naples, like which is next door to it, there's a million people who live in the red zone for the cold air of um, super volcano there, Campe de Fluege. So. I, la last I read, like there's about three million. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like they, they know full well. Everyone knows the story of Pompeii, and they still built a city next to it and kept staying there. That's, it's like, we'll just be a little bit further. It probably won't happen again. <laughs> yeah, they sent um, Roman soldiers to like go and find out what happened after that eruption and to go like save the town, but they couldn't actually find Pompeii at all. That's horrifying to me. Like It could change so much that an entire city is wiped out. I mean, when you think of the very violent temper tantrums that the earth has thrown in the billions of years it's been around, that does that shouldn't surprise me, but there's something different about reading about, oh, Pompeii's gone, and then just imagining somebody looking for their loved ones and not even able to find the city anymore. Like, that's insanity to me. Like, that's, like, how do you even process that? And then how do you process that in such a way of, like, well, I guess I'll start real estate seven miles down the road. This was, this, this was yeah. a great location. Uh, yeah. <laughs> have you seen the waterfront? Oh, my God. Gorgeous. And now there's less, there's, there's this nice, you know, cooking rock over there. It's pretty nice. It's a little smoky. It has a nice tang to the air. Brilliant. Brilliant location. I'll start setting up shop. Yeah, it moves like the waves. That's waterfront property you can stand on, my man. Come on, let's go. <laughs> oh, I, I, I honestly love that human history can be studied in such a way of like, nope, you chose. And even in modern times, like we see an earthquake almost annihilate San Francisco 100 years ago. And like, well, build it back up. 
It's like setting up dominoes. Like build just, it, build it bigger. Build it bigger. Can it can it be a little less shaky this time? Oh, we'll see. We'll, we'll try and find out. That's not the priority. We got to make it look nice first. Yeah, we got to get that tourism in, and then we'll fix the city. So as far as realism goes, I think we've had our fill. I want to talk about Tears of the Kingdom because I am still playing this game. Like whenever this is like this is gonna come out probably mid June, I'm still here playing this game. Like that before this, a half hour before this recording started, I was playing this game. Like this is it, it's addicting. It is. I don't want to look at how many hours I've spent playing it and I am not far through at all. You never never look at the number. I spent <laughs> over two hours finding a boat chassis on one tiny island, bringing materials there and making a boat cycle because I wanted to. I wanted to raid the various Moblin bases on land in a mobile pirate ship. And so I did. I mean, that's, I'll, I'll say that my favorite thing that I've done so far is that I got a Korok, you know, you get Korok to its buddy, you get two Korok seeds. Uh, there was one at the bottom part of a mountain. And so I got him to his friend by using recall and ultra hand by lifting him high up in the air and then dropping him and then recalling him back up to the peak, climbing up, grabbing him again, and just continuously dropping this Korok and catching him in midair. So <laughs> that is genius. <laughs> and I love it when they're like, the oh, we have, this, you to solve it, but we it have this pile of equipment here for you that you can build the little car to carry it. Why are you building a rocket ship? <laughs> <laughs> so why are you building it? Like, have you like people turning them into rotisserie chickens has been like pretty harrowing for me. <laughs> Yeah, but at the same time, like, there's also, I've seen people, some dude made the Batmobile. Like, I genuinely think that there, we talked, we were talking about studies before we started recording. I think there would be a very interesting study on, like, human nature based off of how people, when given this much freedom and ability in the game, there's people roasting Koroks because they can, and then there's people making, like, architectural marbles. Yeah, the the guy who just wanted to make Metal Gear Ray from Metal Gear from the Metal Gear Solid franchising, and he did. It 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 looks awesome. It does look awesome. It's so I've seen cool. That one. Yeah. So as far as volcanoes go in this timeline of the Zelda universe, Zelda multiverse, or whatever you want to call it, how does it compare to ones in the past games? So with this one, like. As you said, like they haven't specified where in the timeline it is. I'm fully in the belief that it's a convergent timeline of all the previous ones that split off. Because um, you can find all the items like Majora's Mask and I found Zant's helmet from Twilight Princess. And they're in different universes. So I feel I like found the Wind Waker. Yeah, I, I found the Wind Waker boomerang. I keep it with me at all times. You got to be safe. Yeah, no, it's mine. It's I, it's my boy. It's my favorite one of the Zelda, so I'm keeping it. So how it compares to before, it's definitely showing a major evolution from previous times where it's just um, Death Mountain is literally just a peak, which we call a stratovolcano. So it's Sorry, it's built up over multiple eruptions of lava and pyroclastic material. And it makes these very stereotypical um, volcanic peaks that I think if you ask anyone to draw a volcano, they'll draw one like that. 
Whereas now they just exploded the size of Death Mountain. Um, and the best feature that I found was if you look at um, just north of the volcanic peak on the map, you'll see it says Death Caldera. And then surrounding that is this rim of rocky crags. It's best seen in um, Breath of the Wild, actually, because you can have what you have all the molten lava surrounding it. And you can see that the lava's kept in this bowl shape with a bit of overspill. And that actually shows the caldera rim of where Death Mountain used to be and the size of it before in the past at some point that we don't get to see there was a major catastrophic eruption which caused death mountain to collapse in on itself and then completely clean slate it to a flat or even a depression in the ground usually a cold era forms but then as we look at it now you've got another central peak of death mountain again in the middle and this commonly happens with um cold areas where just because you've collapsed the volcano doesn't mean you've destroyed the underneath plumbing system of the magma so the magma will keep on rising up afterwards and you so you tend to get these um, resurgent volcanoes in the middle of them and that is what has happened in uh, in breath of the wild and in tears of kingdom the volcano is built back up again Although it has built up to an extremely ridiculous size. Like how, how big should it be? Like, I mean, this, I mean, comparatively to like other volcanoes, obviously it's not the biggest ever conceived by ever seen in reality. I mean, compared to the ones on Mars for Pete's sake, but what is this like, how big is this thing? I mean, if you look at like Mount St. Helens, which blew its side out in 1980 there's a lava dome in the middle of that which i don't believe it's grown to the full size of it's even like the remaining rim of its crater so it hasn't even grown back to anywhere near as big as it used to be in 40 years and a lot of cases with other cold areas that I can think of off the top of my head, like they've never had something which regrows to a significant size. Whereas Death Mountain just dwarfs the original cold era rim. So the next question, honestly, with just how big this thing is and how it's building up, uh, should I have to be wearing heat proof armor to run around it like an idiot? Because I literally had to like zap in, went to the depths, went back up to like try and get into this town so that way I would not catch on fire. Yeah. And every time, like I always was like, wow, I hated going to Death Mountain in Breath of the Wild because I just hated catching on fire and having to chug different foods to stop catching on fire, which I don't think, if you don't know how biology works, drinking a milkshake does not make you fireproof. No, it'll make you colder inside, but it's definitely not going to protect you at all Goody. i have a charred exterior and a cool nougaty center it's also ironic lucas because 
in in our world, like you think about cuisines around. And this is obviously does not apply to volcanoes and the extreme heats that are there. But if you think about areas where temperatures are really hot, the cuisines, the food around that area tend to be very spicy and hot because it induces the eater to sweat, which then helps with cooling you down. So you're eating hot food in hot areas to cool yourself down, and that's flipped in this where it's flipped in this where you're eating the the cold food to stay cold. It also is weird from a taste bud perspective because if you want to activate like the cold center of your brain, the opposite of that is like mint. So I think it would be really funny if they had it if they if this game had added like a mint instead of like having to drink like ice mushrooms or whatever. Literally, just like no, you just have some mint and that it's magic mint and it makes you cool down. That makes more sense to me. This is my air conditioning lizard. <laughs> You should just get the fans and just carry a fan around and cool yourself down all the time. Build a machine like a contraption that's just like four fans pointed right at you as you're walking up the mountain. Yeah. Create just, a car which has two facing backwards, but one facing right behind you. So you get a little bit forward motion and cooling at the same time. Yeah. So it's three fans pointed at you, two fans pointed behind you with a steering wheel, and you just turned it to try and just keep going. It doesn't even have wheels. It's just like a solid flat metal base. It's just skidding up the mountain. But like in real life, that wouldn't happen, would it? No, no. So like the lava, which comes out of volcanoes or the pyroclastic flows as well, like they can be extremely hot um, around 600 degrees Celsius, which is 1100 um, Fahrenheit for on the cooler end of things um up to the extreme side i believe it's like a thousand degrees celsius which is 1800 degrees fahrenheit so it's hot but that is when you're standing right next door to the lava itself not when you're far away from it and in breath of wild it made more sense because lava was everywhere which isn't realistic but with it being around, like you've got more heat being produced, whereas in Tears of the Kingdom, Deathmount is no longer as active. And so the lava is not there. It should have cooled down, which is something I haven't actually double checked to see if the like radius of the heat has decreased or not. But I think it's decreased quite a bit in terms of just because I was walking around one area and I was like, oh, I better have some heat proof armor and I brought the food to get it. But like then it wasn't so bad. I was like, oh, okay, this is this is okay. This is not too bad. I, I still hated buying that much armor for that high a price, but, you know, say I love you. That's fine. Well, that's the, the, the funny... So I want to talk about the Flame Breaker armor, Ed, but the... Uh, Lucas, to that point, the... Uh, have you read the, the uh, entry for the Flame Breaker armor? It's fire-resistant armor crafted by the Gorons for uh, Hylians curious enough to visit Goron City. So it is a tourism piece. It is, it is something that they were like, hey, these people are coming. Let's not let them burn to death so they can, so we can get their money. Ah, yes. Capitalism. The driving force to survival on Death Mountain. Here I thought the goddess was the most powerful thing. Turns out it was ruthless Goron capitalism. <laughs> uh, but, Ed, I, I'm curious. How does the Flamebreaker armor, mo- mostly in design, how does that stack up to what you might see people wearing uh not uh visiting volcanoes so for most volcanoes like you don't have to wear anything because even if they're active 
well, I mean, if they're active and erupting, naturally you just won't go up to them. Fear will kick in and hopefully the fight or flight, you'll make the right choice and go with flight. Oh, I, I don't think you've met many Floridians, Ed. The Fight or Flies remix has been thoroughly removed to just go check it out. <laughs> What's that? Alligator in your pond that's eating a smaller alligator? Go check it out. Get closer. Unfortunately, the volcano will win in every scenario. But when it comes to, like, the... Um, I'm sure you're thinking of, like, the silver suits that you see people wear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if you are going right up to a an active volcano like to the lava lake or right up to the um flowing lava then yeah it's a good idea to wear these suits um i did some initial research on these like quite a while ago i think it was for our original talk about pokemon um lucas where um the original silver suits used to be made of asbestos yeah so it was great for then, um, but now they're actually made out of a complex mesh material, which includes aluminium in it to uh, help protect you. Or you can get even more advanced ones, which um, are known as entry suits, and they can resist heat up to hundred, uh, up to a thousand degrees Celsius for short periods of time. Um, so 1800 degrees Fahrenheit but even then it is only for short periods of time before the heat starts pushing through so I like yeah I like how Breath of the Wild made it so you can't just take the heat suit and go into the desert and be fine yeah I don't get that at all yeah it's like no no you're not yeah no the fi- it's fireproof so you'll be fine but like if you wear that in the desert you are going to cook it's not sunproof but yeah, it's not sunproof. It's lava proof. There's a difference. It's like, did, okay, I, I like that it tries that because I prefer wearing like, you know, beach attire as opposed to the clunky metal suit. Although personally, if I had to choose my favorite outfit, it's the one that glows in the dark with like the weird goat mask because it's just like, you, the hero of time, deep, heavy breathing behind a leather mask. Like, hooray. I, I think my favorite part of the armor is the helmet because you have all this gear around you and there does not appear to be anything in front of your eyes. It looks like an American football helmet. Right? Yeah. Like, it just looks like there's just, like, these two vents here. I'm like, the part you'll want to protect the most, your eyes are going to, like, melt, man. Yeah. And you're just going to inhale all of that hot air. Just no filter. So with all those extremities, kind of like a two-parter here, what would be, what would the Gorons, who are living here full-time, by the way, need in order to live there? Like, and what would probably be the closest thing you've seen on our world that would match their tenacity? Like, whenever Link runs up to the volcano, you always see it in a constant state of violent eruptions. But, boringly, that's not how a lot of volcanoes work. In fact, all volcanoes work, really. They go through a short period of being violent and eruptive. But the rest of the time, they're nice and chill. Like, those three million people living in Naples, they're happy there. For the most part, just living in Goron City, they can survive happily. Um, But when they start doing the mining, I think, is when the hardiness of the Gorons really shows, because they mine the metals 
from within the volcano, which you can get. Um, they're produced by hydrothermal fluids, which bring up, well, they dissolve metals into the fluids. And then as it rises and moves away from a heat source, they cool and precipitate the metals into ore veins. And that's what they'll be mining. But in a lot of cases, like in Twilight Princess, when you go into their mines, it is straight inside the volcano. There is lava all around. So they have to be able to withstand that naturally without their uh, heat-proof hockey helmet mask <laughs> suit. It's, and so, I mean, when I think of volcanic organism, I usually think of the shark they found swimming in an underwater caldera or like this one snail they found. Uh, usually they're aquatic organisms that have learned to survive in the volcanoes feeding off chemicals. Are there anything, is there anything on land that would like try and live on a volcano? Um, so I do remember watching one of the Planet Earth documentaries which had um, a type of lizard. I believe it was, it might have been an iguana. Um and I want to say in the Galapagos, I should double check this beforehand, but um, they like to lay their eggs inside the crater of the volcano. And then because it's nice and hot and so they'll dig a hole, much like turtles do, lay their eggs in it and then cover it back up again and let the heat of the volcano nurture their eggs. And then they go off and leave. So I think this is very similar to Gorons, like they'll live around the volcano and they'll go into it when they need to. Um, but generally they just sort of live nearby it, but not inside it entirely. Well, there's also this one beach in Hawaii. It's the only place, one of the only places in the world that we know of where sea turtles will actually go on land not to lay eggs, but just to like bathe in the heat. And part of that might be the retention of heat coming from the black volcanic sand. Probably is, yeah. Yeah, and no that's, surprised. that's insane because male sea turtles don't go back to land. Like, they don't. They spend the rest of their lives in the water. It's the females who have to go back and lay their egg. So it's so interesting to me that so many organisms have learned to adapt around volcanoes and have been able to survive around them. Granted, when the volcano erupts, they probably don't make it very far if they're in the way of the lava or the pyrotoxic flow or the dangerous chemicals. But, you know, for a good amount of time, they do all right. I mean, clearly they're still living there. Yeah, I mean, like, these lizards are putting their eggs literally in the volcano. So if it erupts, then that whole batch is gone. But they're still surviving. They're still thriving. So it, Oh, my eggs are gone. Work. Worst day ever. And then the lava's just slowly crawling for them. Like, I guess I'll go back to the water. <laughs> I'll just become a marine iguana then. Ugh, whatever. This sucks. <laughs> so, Chris, you added this. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, rock yeah. roast yeah what's the deal with rock roast ed uh that's for meat that they eat isn't it i want to say meat in averted commas <laughs> yeah right because it, it's it's rocks uh but like but like so what is what what would be to gain like if you were to if you were to take gorons as real they would be eating this for a reason so what could they potentially be getting from this rock roast not much, really. Um, so a lot of lava is mostly made of um, silica dioxide. So 
we actually we call it silica in geology because reasons i guess just laziness of not having to call it silica dioxide all the time um but silica is one of the things that we actually use to um, differentiate different types of lava and so you start at around 45 percent silica for basalt and then you increase up to so i think 67 percent is the lower threshold for rhyolite um lava and you can go up into sort of just pushing 80s at times but that's rare so if we say sort of 45 to 70 percent silica and then the rest of it after that you got a bit of iron aluminium um sodium potassium in it but beyond that there's nothing really potentially nutritious in it that i'm seeing isn't like the silica like basically sharp glass in your lungs if you breathe it in it's basically sand yeah it just sounds like pain yeah they're just basically eating bigger chunks of sand grains for some reason although the marbled the marbled meat was actually interesting because that looks very much like um a type of rock that's known as um known as like bacon slices did an american discover it i'm I'm literally typing into google bacon slice rock yeah i i i, I also searched exactly those words <laughs> bacon. uh let's I see i wrote down the name i'm trying to find it again is it is R. it uh rhodochrosite yeah that's for one that i mean i mean that's bacon rhodochrosite yeah literally when you try to type in rhodochrosite it literally ends as rhodochrosite bacon and that is legitimately rock bacon if you look at like cut slices of it it looks identical to the marbled rock that um is being produced by the gloom in uh, tears of the kingdom I could put this on a plate and someone is going to lick it. Someone is going to be pick it up and be like, this doesn't feel like bacon and actually lick this thing. It's uh, what's that? It's, is it real or cake? Real or rock? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the bacon or rock? So what is the uh, rotocrosite? Where do you find that, Ed? So that one is a mostly manganese carbonate, um, with a bit of iron as well. So the different bands of pink in it, the different shades are uh, created by the different concentrations of manganese versus iron in it. But ultimately they are carbonates like limestone, which form in shallow tropical oceans. So the way that they could be incorporated into the volcano is that underneath death mountain there is a layer of these um carbon uh carbonates and the if you thing... look at them without like the bacon it, it really is a very pretty stone like it's ve- the gems that they form are absolutely stunning but then again if you slice i i can't unsee the rock bacon just imagine taking a bite and losing your teeth the, the gore like just like Okay, when I lived abroad in Japan, finding actual bacon is really hard. And even the people from the UK I met were like, no, I miss bacon and proper bread. So literally, we were at a certain point where like, yo, if I had seen that, I would have gone for a bite of it. Like immediately. Like true. Pro- that looks more like bacon than anything I ever saw traveling abroad. That looks delicious. And I want mo- I want to try. I want to eat the rock bacon. <laughs> 
I personally like wouldn't advise it, but you know, you do you and tell me what it's like afterwards. At the moment, I have dental insurance, so we can make some choices. <laughs> I, I don't know if your dental insurance covers uh, intentionally biting rocks. I will say it was an accident. Like, it looked like bacon, sir, and I show him the rock. He's going to be like, okay, that was an accident. That looks like bacon. Somebody put it in my sandwich. Yeah, it was a joke. A really, It's a geologist prank. That's the... <laughs> that, yeah, I can imagine someone doing that, actually. It's April Fool's Day. It's just like, oh, who, who put this in my mouth? Ed and just Ed giggling around the corner. <laughs> so final question. This is like I want disaster movie levels of chaos in this one. Dante's it, Peak of Hyrule. Dante's Peak. No, what was the other one? The one that took over L.A. The one that destroyed Volcano. Los Angeles. Volcano. Yeah, that movie's terrible. I love that <laughs> one. It's so bad. <laughs> if an eruption happened in Hyrule. What could they do about it? And how screwed is the rest of Hyrule? Well, I mean, if they show at some point when the Death Cold Era eruption happened, that would be a big bad one that you don't want to be nearby because the crater rim for that is huge. Um, and that would have produced a lot of pyroclastic eruptions on a scale far bigger than Pompeii. So you could easily bury the Hyrule Castle like by a couple of <clears throat> hundred meters or so. Like the basements have gone first, second floor. Maybe the the top of the tower and then hundreds of meters up? I'd say like you'd probably be reaching the tower peaks, so the top of them might still be around. So if we fled to the flying cities, we'd be okay. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Take to the skies. But wait, wouldn't the like ash piling up there like blow in and choke us out there too? Uh, you might have to barricade the doors and the windows, yeah. Okay. Now, for how long am I barricading up in my side, in my sky city, where my only friend is a construct who's constantly begging for rocks that I don't have? <laughs> um. Thankfully, like these don't happen all too often. Um. If I like. They haven't occurred for in our lifetime that we've seen. So trying to figure out how long you would have to remain barricaded for if that went off, we don't know. I mean, wouldn't the depths be like safer as well? Or the depths be like even more violent? The depths annoys me because there's it's completely like open plain. And so there's you can see the lava in the bottom of the depths underneath Death Mountain but there's nothing connecting that lava to the surface at all. There is no magma chamber. There are no conduit feeding pipes. I don't understand it. Have you ever watched The Core? <laughs> I haven't, but I've been told... Like, I did find it in a store once for one pound, and I bought it, but I never got around to watching it, and I can't find it. But I do know that it's one I need to watch because it sounds ridiculous. In the movie, they have, they run, they're drilling to the center of the earth and they have like a pocket of like geodes and crystals and stuff. What if like the depths are in a little, a giant pocket of that and the water, the lava is just flowing around that to the volcano? Like almost like a stone blocking a tract. <laughs> it could work, but like you just don't, there's nothing going up and connecting it at all. It's magically producing its own lava. 
Yeah. It's just magically coming up. Like, there could be some... Because you do dive down quite deep through Death Mountain to get to it, so there could be a small pocket, but small pockets of magma reservoirs are being fed by deeper pockets, which are fed by, eventually, the mantle, which is underneath the crust of the Earth. And there's just there's no connecting pipe at the top. It could be that the, uh, the giant... Uh, bacon rock monster destroyed it <laughs> while it was rampaging around. So that's one theory which makes Death Volcano, uh, Death Mountain, like no longer active until that eventually rebuilds itself back up again. I'm trying to think of like where else in like the main area of Hyrule would be safe because now the, with the Great Plateau, I mean, it's kind of elevated. Yeah, the Great Plateau, I reckon. It would be all right, possibly. Like, at that distance, the height is elevated. The pyroclastic flows might just reach the top of it, so you should be fine. The deserts would be all right. And the, uh, I think, Rito Village, because it's surrounded by mountains, would be all right. They also might just fly away. They'd be like, well, it's been fun, guys. Yep. <laughs> well, we found out there's Sky City, so later, nerds, we're out of here. They even have to build a new town. They got their own. They become like the only society left while everyone else has to like scrounge in the in the ash and the dirt to, to like survive. Honestly, the volcano would do more damage to the environment than Ganon did. I've already been on a very wordy rant that Ganon loves nature and hates everybody else. So, Ed, um, I do want to thank you so much for coming to talk with us and sharing what you know about volcanoes. And I'm so glad that you and Chris got to finally meet. That's always fun. Yeah. But, I mean, thank you for having me. I, I remember listening to your first podcast on this series and just hearing you say that you know someone who researches volcanoes in video games. And as soon as I heard that, I just grabbed my phone and messaged you. It's like, hi, I'm here. When do you want me? <laughs> Where can people learn more about you? Is there anything we should connect them to in the description? Is there like a Twitter we should follow or a paper we should link to? Give me what I need to put in. Uh, my Twitter page is probably the best place to find me, which is at the volcano guy with underscores between each word. Um, and then for papers, as you mentioned, I wrote one on volcanoes in video games with Jasmine Scarlet. Um, and then I wrote another one about the geology of Legends Arceus um, with Lewis Alcott. Both of them are published with Geoscience Communication Journal, which is completely open access journal. So it's free to access these papers and don't have to pay a penny to read it. Just follow the links and you'll find both of my papers on there. Honestly, I could always talk about Legends of Arceus, so we'll probably bring you back for that one too. <laughs> it's great, like, we compare the features that you see in the game, like, geologically and geographically, to the real ones that you find in Hokkaido, and show how they are directly representative. Thank you so much for coming, Ed. We'll go ahead and we'll hopefully we'll see you Ryu soon. Thank, thank you, thank you so much. Man, I'm sorry you couldn't have been there for that interview, Don. It was a lot of fun. It sounds like it. Hopefully I can make the next one. Yeah, no, I really do want to talk more about rock bacon. The fact that it exists at all, it's, I, I'm I'm just hungry now. You know what? We're wrapping up this episode because I'm hungry. That's the only reason. Thank you guys so much for listening. We saw 
so many of you interested in our Pokemon conservation talk that we posted to the multiplayer network. And we got an amazing response of it for in the future. We might make more. We might put out some more videos like that. But if you haven't gotten to check it out yet, that's in our YouTube channel. Um, please, thank you so much for your support. It means the world to us. So have a great rest of your day or night. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, everybody.